William Hill Sportsbook at Silver 7's Hotel and Casino. It's Cofield and Company. All right, here we go. Thursday spot, earlier start, 2 o'clock. Next 16 weeks, 2 o'clock start, 2 to 5. John Von Tobel is here as a company. Ari's back in the Finley Toyota Studios. And why are we going 2 to 5? Because during football season, we do that on Mondays and Thursdays. We get out of the way for... The national broadcast tonight, oh, oh. Bills-Rams, oh. freaking awesome matchup, uh, crazy, crazy betting patterns. Let's get to it. It's the three on Cofield and Company. All right, first of all, I don't even understand why you send stuff like this my way for the rundown. Football, hate that I'm excited. Are you such an NBA guy now that no? what's going on? I just, you don't uh, like to get excited? Or is, has the show made you just kind of... A baseline guy. No, I just I, I'm an elitist. You know what I mean? See all these mouth breathers getting like so like, oh NFL. I have no other interest except for football. And I'm so excited that it's back. Um, but I and I so I hate it. I hate that I'm excited that later tonight I get to ignore my wife and two kids for the sake of work um, and watch football and watch Josh Allen and Matt Stafford and sink into it. Oh, I it was so good last uh, last weekend in college football is like the minor, obviously the minor leagues criticizing like coaching decisions and timeouts and game management and play calls ah it just gets you, so much better with the you, nfl you like your little club what the, do you mean the, the smaller club of uh, people analyzing football now we bring in the masses so now we get even more voices yeah it's good i love it get to quote tweet people and dunk on them because they're idiots it's so good and for you a guy who's in the uh the gambling biz now or at least the gambling advice biz there's a whole new crew of like hundreds and hundreds of Proclaimed and self-proclaimed betting experts, track your plays. We want to see your records, and we want to see how you play. That's always funny and entertaining as well. It is. I mean, that's a whole other conversation. We won't open that can of worms. Uh, but I will say, yeah, you're right. Like, I, I feel like, and you and I have talked about this in a more serious tone off the air, I feel like I should be tweeting more emojis out this uh, this season. You know what I mean? Like, oh, 2-0 this week, dollar sign, dollar sign, bunch of money with wings on it, guy with dollar signs for eyes and tongue hanging out. It is. Uh, you know, it's a funny thing to follow because uh, obviously with the explosion of sports gambling across the country, there are a lot of people now who are making money off it and send out picks and people trust them. And, you know, because you and I work a little closer behind the scenes around a lot of these people, we know who is really good and who isn't good. And uh, sometimes people giving out the advice, you got to be careful. Sometimes people giving out the advice are actual, actually awful gamblers and in horrendous debt and, uh, you know, sit in there wagging their finger and challenging people and it's like they're they're not making any money with their own money so here's my thing with it and and i'm totally open to this being the wrong way to approach it um for like our my nba column kept track of the record and units lost and roi on that thing and ended up up for the season for the nba column but you will notice that i do not tweet out my record in any way shape or form or anything i keep track of it on my own uh but you'll also notice that i don't tweet out the money sign emojis and like you know this weekend baby let's go i'm on fire to me, it's I'm managing my bankroll. I'm taking care of it. As long as I don't go over the top touty, which I don't think I am, I think it's a fine way to manage myself. But who knows? I, like I said, I'm open to being wrong because I am in the public space of gambling. What an opener on a Thursday night game here to kick off the NFL season, the Rams and the Bills. And oh the Bills are a very, very hype team. I mean, this situation where you've got a Super Bowl champion as a home dog is unheard of. It's I, Are they the Warriors? Did they add somebody other than Von Miller? I'm ready to go full in on this and watch the Bills win like 34 to nothing today. I, I just, you look everywhere, Steve. Everywhere. At every turn, it's Bills Super Bowl, Bills AFC champion, 
Josh Allen MVP. I thought so. Like I find I follow Mina Kimes on Instagram, right? And so she's actually a pretty talented artist, and so she's drawing who she thinks her MVP for the year is gonna be. So I'm like, okay, like she's a pretty good artist. Let's see what this is. It's Josh Allen. I'm like, God, I'm like, everywhere. It's I get it. Von Miller's a really good player. But this team was seven and six at one point last year through thirteen games. Brian Dable's gone. It's again, I will always say this. The Bills are a really good team. Where I draw the line is the degree to which the masses have them as a very good team. To say they're above the others with like a clear line of demarcation is really weird to me. It really is, given everything we know about this team. We're going to make our picks later on, and then Willie and Adam Hill will join in tomorrow. They're going to be hosting uh, tomorrow's Cofield and company. I'll be part of the show as well. From California, traveling to Berkeley for UNLV against Cal. So we'll have our division picks, wild card picks, and some win totals. Also Super Bowl winner, Super Bowl uh, participants. Will I have one of these two teams in it? I don't know. I'm going to leave it at that. How about I, I'm, I'm not sure. What a tease. I'm not sure. I've been flip-flopping, but I will have something for certain in the 4 o'clock hour. Again, we cut out at 5 o'clock. When the NFL comes on here at Silver 7s, it begins basically five months of when an NFL game is on here at Silver 7s, and it seems like there's an NFL game almost every day of the week now. When a game is on, the beers are 77 cents. It is the best special. Believe me, when you read, hey, yay, $35 bucket. 77 cent beers. These are bottles of Bud Light, Bud, and Mick Ultra here at Sil- uh, Silver 7s. There's two bars, the brand new Bud Light Lounge and Silver and Gold right in front of the William Hill Racing Sportsbook. Right now, down at the book, plus two and a half, the Rams are as a home dog. Total is 52. If you want to go money line, do you want to explain to people the value or lack of value when you can get two and a half with the Rams at minus 110? The money line is plus 115. In that what? Like, you'd rather go with the uh, money line price as opposed to taking two and a half? I'm just asking you what you would do. I mean, right now. I know what I would do. I think you're going money line as opposed to taking two and a half. Two and a half is not the most key number in the world, obviously. You're hoping that it gets to three. Uh, I always take the points. Really? Yeah. I mean, I will say there's an argument for it, just given the fact that in today's day and age, uh, with, you know, extra points being missed more often, that you can make the argument that the keyness of two and a half is a little bit more important. Um, but I think you'd be better off looking at taking a small price, a plus price on the money line as opposed to taking two and a half. So as we get set up for the Raiders, Chargers rematch, end of the season, regular season last year, we're back again and down at SoFi, a lot of stuff going on with the fans. You know, it, it hits us from a reality standpoint now. Raiders were 10-7 and seven last year and made the playoffs, and they are, according to Josh Dubow from the AP, 29th in the NFL in returning players. They have turned over this roster massively. Hmm. I didn't realize it was that stream. That is pretty crazy. Yeah. But here's the thing. Did they do something wrong here? Did the team need that much changing? I will tell you, and the aforementioned Adam Hill not here today, but Adam Hill was the guy after the season who thought they needed to tear everything down and start to rebuild. So I know he was all about uh, changing things up, and he also – you know, he pointed out many times the, the, the roster got maximized, but it wasn't really a great roster. So McDaniels and Ziegler came in, and they're like, we agree. Right, We're changing things. Both can be right, right? Like, tear it down doesn't necessarily mean tank and be terrible. You could just tear it down to the key positions and try to rebuild it from that. And you can make the argument. I mean, they kind of did other than one position, which was the offensive line. They didn't really go full bore in improving that. 
Uh, but I think it's kind of a positive, especially when you look at the changes, right? When you bring in like a Chandler Jones to match up with Max Crosby, when you sign the best receiver in Devontae Adams, you can make the argument that tearing it down the way that McDaniels and his staff did and retooling it for another go at it in a really good division was the way to do it. Enter to win your share of $10,000 in weekly prizes. Grand prize cash bonus of a million dollars. Sign up for the William Hill Pro Pick'em Football Contest by September 11th at the Silver Sevens Hotel and Casino. Hanging at the William Hill Sportsbook inside Silver Sevens, it's Cofield and Company. Just getting started here at Silver Sevens on this Thursday. Remember, every Thursday during the NFL season, Cofield and Company goes at 2 o'clock. Thursdays mean it's time to break down the college football slate. Michael Felder is our college football insider. And Mike, right out of the gates, let's talk about your new newsletter that you're going to be putting out every week after the college football weekend. Yeah, so we got premium newsletter. I actually just got done recording a video like five minutes ago where I went through one of my new favorite play concepts, which is... Hard, it's a hard zone run to the left, but then it's actually a quick pitch or a speed option to the right. Really fun, like little concept, really cool thing. Wrinkle that we're seeing. I saw, it, saw Illinois do it, saw Charlotte do it. Uh, we saw a little bit of it out of Utah as well. And Florida tried some of the same thing. So I really like it. I think it's something that we're going to see kind of populate the college football world this year. So that's what I do on the bulletin. I kind of I talk about football. Like I'm not going to – I promise you I will not talk about the playoff every single day, every single time. <laughs> That's my least favorite part of this job. It's a part I have to do to make money for my family. But <laughs> the reality is I, I really just like to talk about like the little parts of football. I saw bull projections, and, I, and on one hand, I was like, you jerk. Not from you, but from someone else. But I was also like, well, if it does get hits, it gets traffic, and they're told to do it. Then I guess yeah. some writers are going to do it. So you mentioned Florida in that mix there. Florida kind of surprised you, right? They played a little bit of bully ball and roughed up Utah. Yeah, I think that was the big thing. And listen, I was wrong. I thought Utah was going to come in there and, and, and really just give them the work. And what we saw was a Utah team, they had, what, three red zone trips with six points total? And you can't do that. You can't do that against a team that's bigger, faster, stronger than you. And But I do – I will say this. I think Florida came away with a massive amount of respect for Utah and what their program brings to the table. And I say I also think that while we answer some questions about what Florida's going to look like this year, because we didn't know – uh, we also have bigger questions about what their defense is going to look like because Utah moved the ball pretty consistently between the tens, not even between the twenties. Between the tens, Utah moved the ball even between the fives. And then once they got inside the five, they had problems with spacing, obviously, and the bigger, faster, stronger athletes kind of won out, which led to those field goals and ultimately the interception that killed the game. But um, Billy Napier, and I, this is the way that I've been saying it: Billy Napier built a perfect sandbox for that football team. No, no deep passes all passes that Anthony Richardson could complete, and then they leaned heavy on them to try to tire them out towards the end of the game. And, and we saw Utah guys go down with cramps thanks to the humidity. We saw Utah guys uh, just get kind of just get roughed up a little bit. And that's a good recipe when it's your first game. Like, you don't ask your quarterback to be a Superman. Like, you don't ask him to be a superhero. They asked him to be just Anthony Richardson. And you know what? I'm going to complete this four-yard pass, hope they miss a tackle, and then we'll go from there. I'm going to complete this seven-yard pass. Well, the longest pass play Florida had was 23 yards. That's he, it. He caught it at 15, and he missed a tackle. Somebody missed a tackle, picked up eight more yards, and then and they tackled him. That was it. It wasn't a deep – there was no deep balls. There wasn't a deep game. There was no vertical push. They played really within themselves and, and relied on the, the, the humidity and the size and t- to, to, to beat this Utah team. So it was, a, it was a really – I thought it was one of the really good football games of the weekend, though. 
Find Michael Felder's uh, weekly college football write-up at In the Bleachers up on Twitter. You talked about, hey, I'm going to talk football. We're going to go over plays. I thought you drawing up. I didn't know what the hell was going on. I'm trying to learn more and more. You played the game, but I, I loved when you started drawing up what UCLA did against yeah. Bowling Green, and you were talking about mesh and then some sort of alternative mesh. Yes. So mesh is basically we've, – we all, we've all seen mesh. We've seen it a million times where the two inside receivers, whether it's a tight end in a slot or a slot in a slot, we've seen those guys come across the middle and they both come out of the chute. Right before the flat, underneath the hook curl, they both come out between anywhere from two to seven yards. They come out on the other side. And that's where the quarterback hits them. Ohio State does it. Oklahoma does it. LSU, or, excuse me, USC does it. Everybody runs some variant of this. And what UCLA was able to do, what they've been doing, and I'm sure other people have done it. I don't think that Chip Kelly is like the inventor of this. But this is the time it stood out to me where everything, they motion a guy inside. It looks like mesh. They start to come together, and then they both stop, and they go back outside. And as a defensive guy, when I see what looks like mesh, when I see what looks like shallow cross, you see those shallow crossers, you drive hard because you have to beat them to the other end. Otherwise, you're never going to tackle that guy. Well, in this concept, if you drive hard to that side and then they stop and go back, now they've got space there in that same shoot that the other guy would have come out from. So, I don't know, it's just a really cool concept for me. And, again, you can find that at itsfelder.bulletin.com. But, yeah, it just that's what I like about football. Like, looking at those little – like, I got super – I scared my wife. Because I, I screamed. <laughs> I screamed. I was like, yes, oh, my God, that's amazing. And then I paused it, ran it back, paused it, ran it back. And I was like, I got to draw this. So, yeah, that's that's what gets me going when it comes to football. It's good to know that you uh, you scare the family because I do the same thing. Uh, anytime my school is on, I'm screaming, yelling, and the girlfriend's like, I am not going to be here for your game. Clemson, you know, they wound up winning the other night against Georgia Tech, but it was 17-10 into the late part of the third quarter. They pull away, and of yep. course, after the game, some of the angle is, again, with DJU at quarterback, Kate Klubnick got in, and now they've got two games coming up where they face Furman and La Tech. He's going to get in again. This, I mean, in, in the end, it's kind of a good problem to have if you actually have two quarterbacks who can play, but you know how people are going to shape this, like get DJU off the field, get the young guy out there. Yeah, it's it's which is unfortunate because all, the, all people wanted, they, everyone talked about him as the second coming for so long, and him being up there with C.J. Stroud and Bryce Young, which is where he was when he was coming out of high school. Uh, I just think that it's unfortunate for him that fans, I, I think, feel so spoiled, entitled, if you will, that, like, he he's not allowed to have some struggles or he's not allowed to, like – like, to me, I look at the problem. The problem's still the offensive line. If Georgia Tech is getting to my quarterback, we got a problem. And I'm not going to sit here and pretend like he didn't miss some throws because he did. But I also understand that he's a little gun-shy after what happened last year. He's worried, like he holds onto the ball a little bit longer because he wants to make sure he doesn't fumble and he doesn't want to, he doesn't want to make the wrong throw. Uh, we see Cade coming in the game and Cade is like, I don't, what's the difference, man? We're up by 17. I'll throw it anywhere. Sure. Uh, <laughs> that's a completely different world than to live in. So it's, um, it's going to be interesting to see how this works out. I, I think the big key is going to be um, DJ's got to get a little bit more swift. He's got to make decisions a little bit quicker and he's got to be more deliberate with what he does, including snapping his throws off. Uh, but Cade's still got a lot to learn, and that's the part that's going to be interesting. How do you balance a guy that's got a lot to learn with a guy that's played a ton of football with a guy who has a quicker release with a guy that's got uh, – who's more equipped to play behind an offensive line? It's not going to be able to bring... – listen, and I, I'm not going to pretend – like Clemson has the baddest defense. They got the baddest, roughest, toughest defensive line in the ACC. So the good thing is they don't have to play themselves. But at the same time, as you go through this schedule, you're going to have to play Notre Dame, and 
I think DJ is probably more physically equipped to handle that than Cade Klubnick right now. So, and, and obviously that game's at the end of the year, so we'll see. But Michael Felder's up with Cofield and Company. He's part of the uh, Learfield podcast family, uh, College Sports Now. He does that show, also a hand in the dirt. All right, let's look at the games this week. Uh, Texas yeah. is now getting 20 up from 18. I think that'll probably go to 21. It's Bama in town. Quinn Ewers was okay. He got off to kind of a, a rough start. I mean, there's not a lot of lead time for this kid now going against the Bama defense, which just freaking destroyed Utah State. The thing for me, I know Texas got three sacks. What they got? They got three sacks, I believe. Was it Louisiana Monroe? They got three sacks against them. Great. That's fantastic. Are they going to be able to touch Bryce Young? And the, the interesting thing for me, and I, don't, I haven't seen many people talk about this, Bryce Young ran for 100 yards. He does not want to run. Five carries for 100 yards, 20 yards per carry. He had the long run, obviously. He doesn't want to run. He doesn't like running. He hates it, quite frankly. And so if that's an element that Nick Saban is kind of introducing into the, 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 the tank, watch out because now you've got another problem to worry about. And so I think for Texas, we can talk all we want about Sark and the offense and Quinn Ewers. How good are they going to be defensively? Because last year they flat out stunk. And when you have, let me, let me, I'm going to pull something up. When you, when you don't, when you cannot get to the quarterback, when you have no ability to get to the quarterback, it is absolutely remarkable how little you can accomplish. So listen, I know you do UNLV. Um, leading sack getter last year was what? Was it Jacoby Women? Yeah, I think with uh, like five and a half. Six, six and, and a half. half. Yeah, six and a half. You know what Texas's was? Someone do down you, near uh, two, two and a half, three. Two and a half. Two, two and a half. Two and a half sacks. Yeah. Uh, two and a half sacks. Are you kidding me? Ben Davis with two and a half sacks. So this year already, they've got a guy with one and a half sacks. So he's almost there. He's one sack away from be, from be, from tying last year's sack leader. So I think it's going to be really interesting to see what this looks like. I think that Nick Saban, I think he's going to empty up empty out the cupboard too. Because remember, Nick Saban, this is a, he's, he is a man that is full of spite. And he does. He lost his first game. This is the first time he's ever lost to his um, former assistant. I think he's he's going to put all these guys on notice. Or excuse me, the first game he lost to a former assistant was against Jimbo Fisher. Then he lost to Kirby Smart. So he's got to he's got to go back and prove he's the king of the castle. And I think it starts with Sark. Salty Saban, a scary Saban. Um, I yeah. love early in the season. First of all, rankings are stupid early in the season. We don't know anything about these teams. But I love <laughs> I love that when the bookmakers are like. You guys are morons, at least what we think, and the betters in terms of balancing numbers. So what I'm leading to is number 17, Pittsburgh, at home facing unranked Tennessee. The line is almost up to Tennessee minus seven. Wow. In 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 Pittsburgh. In Pittsburgh, yep. I don't remember the name of the new stadium. I, I can't, I, and I'm, you know what? I'm not going to commit it to memory. I'm just going to say the stadium that the Steelers play in. Sure. Tennessee is addicted. I love the way that ten, the way that Ohio State is addicted, or they're growing an addiction to this cover zero defense that Jim Knowles likes to play. Tennessee's already got a year buy-in of speed, tempo, and space. Space and speed with, is what Hypel does best. Space and speed is what they love. They are bought in on this. Baldonado is going to have his handful from um, from Pittsburgh uh, to try to get to the quarterback because the ball's already going to be gone by the time he gets there. I think Tennessee, they are a scary football team. I think that I think they have an opportunity to be the number two team in the SEC East. I think between Tennessee, Kentucky, and Florida, we're looking at a real battle. And one of those teams may upset Georgia. I don't know. 
But I think we're looking at a real battle there to be the number two team. And the gap between being two and then three, four is huge. Because if you're at four, now you're hanging out with what? South Carolina and Mizzou. And you don't want to be down there. So I think being number two in the SEC East is really important because that's a team that realistically, if Tennessee only loses to Alabama and Georgia, why wouldn't Tennessee be a team that goes to a pretty major bowl game? They're attractive. That fan base, you know they're going to show up. Uh, same thing goes with Florida. And Florida, they because here's the thing, Florida should Florida should only if that Florida only loses to Georgia, ooh, they're going to be in one of those major bowl games because they're going to beat LSU. LSU still needs a, they got a lot of work to do, and it looks like Keishawn Boutte is not happy with the way that things went down on Sunday night. Can Pitt beat Tennessee? Yeah, it's going to be a, a weird game if they win. I'll say this straight out of the gate. If, if Pitt, for Pitt to beat Tennessee, it's going to be them running the football, possessing the football, controlling the football, and then defensively they're going to have to force some errors. And by error, I think that all those errors are going to have to come from the back seven. I don't think the front seven is going to be the part that forces the errors. It's going to have to come from tip ball interceptions. It's going to have to come from really good coverage. It's going to have to come from coverage sacks. So that's the way that for Pitt to do it. And can they do it? Absolutely. But I don't think they're going to. There's some good crossover games these first couple of weeks. Teams are uh, scheduling pretty aggressively. Uh, This one is a future Big 12 matchup. Uh, Baylor's going to see something they haven't seen before. Going to BYU, that's a really interesting place, as we know from uh, the volleyball story with Duke. Um, That all aside, they're catching two and a half against BYU. This is a good game. Yeah, this is going to be – I mean, it's going to be a knockdown dragout. Dave Aranda's team is tough. We didn't learn anything about him in week one, so I'm not worried about that. But I I am very curious to watch – what this game looks like. Listen, BYU, after the rain delay, they made light work of USF. They went down there and they they put the screws to them. So I think the big key is going to be, can can Baylor stop BYU from creating explosive plays? That's job one. And then what does Baylor's team look like moving the football? Because they still got to identify those weapons, right? They lost a lot of guys to the NFL. They lost their best two running backs. They lost their best two wide receivers. How they do that is going to be the most critical element here. Who is the who who becomes their bell cow in the run game, and who becomes their their go to guy when it comes to when they need a first down? Let's go rapid fire in a couple points to close out here. Right. What do we get from Iowa and that South Dakota State game? South Dakota State is tough, but my God, I mean that was, it was Safetyville, and now you go right into a rivalry game, which is massive for both teams against Iowa State. Yeah, I don't know, man. I think Petrus isn't that good. I don't think their offensive line is as good as it has been, and. They're still good defensively, so we're going to figure it out. I, I I will say this. Ask anyone, show them the score to that game, and if they say, wow, they only scored one touchdown, you know they're not watching the games. <laughs> exactly. Uh, total on this one's 41. We mentioned Jacoby Winman from UNLV. He goes to Michigan mm-hmm. State. I mean, Michigan State grabs a group of five guy who I don't think a lot of people knew about. We did here in Vegas. Yeah. He comes out with force out. He was a freaking beast. He goes back yep. to defensive end. He was awesome. Uh, so Mel Tucker, he plays the transfer market. He got Jalen Berger. I don't know what happened in Wisconsin, but that kid's going to be friggin' awesome. So he yep. plays the transfer market. Going back to Clemson, so inform the audience, did Clemson go into the portal at all to help the Zero. offensive line? And if not, why is Dabo being so gosh darn stubborn? That makes no sense to me. There, Listen, folks, there is free agency. I know a lot of us hate it, but there are kids who want to play at a higher level. Go and retool your offensive line or fill those needs. Dabba, so Georgia had one transfer in. Clemson had zero. And I think that is a cultural thing. Uh, and obviously, like I think Notre Dame maybe had one, maybe two. 
Uh, I think it's a cultural thing where he likes to dance with the ones that brung him. And I can't, listen, I can't fault that. I think he wants his guy. He, I think there's, there's something to me, at least admirable about a coach. who's like, no, I'm not going to look for a quick fix. We're going to solve this problem. I uh, talking to a bunch of Clemson fans via Twitter, uh, via text. They think that Dabo, the problem is not Dabo not going into the portal. The problem is his addiction to this strength, this powerlifting strength conditioning program that they have instead of a lot more Olympic lifts. So they get really big up top, good bench press, but they're not doing as many Olympic lifts. So it's going to be really interesting, interesting to see how that works out. But I think that there is something admirable about Dabo being like, listen, I'm not going to quit on you as long as you don't quit on me. And so that's why they are a program that's had some of the lowest, lowest rates of attrition over the last decade right like this is a team where nobody leaves you get there you stay you play football and doesn't matter if you come in as a two-star coming as a one-star coming as a five-star you stay here because you want to play with us and you want to win and i think that's to me it speaks to we can say what we want to say from outside the building but inside that building those guys all play for each other like their their motto is all in and i think that that is a a real testament to it um i don't know if it's perfect but i do know that it works for them yeah I get it. We'll see if it works long term. Uh, four hard downs. Tell people again how to get it. Yeah, so it's the, it's called itsfelder.bulletin.com. It's called itsfelder. It's at itsfelder.bulletin.com. Every Sunday I do four hard downs. The four biggest takeaways that I have, I try to sneak an extra one in there uh, off the top. This week I snuck in Florida and Florida fans talking about stuff, even though I, you know, I show up every day. And you know this about me, Cofield. Every day I'm there. I show up. I will engage with people. Being wrong is not the problem. I want to find out why I was wrong, and that's been the most interesting thing for me about this rewatching this Florida Utah game is is seeing where I missed something. And the big thing I missed was Florida was flat out just bigger than them. Did not expect that by any stretch of the imagination. How much bigger than Utah they would be, and so as we go forward through the season, I'm going to be looking at Utah, and I'm going to look at Utah and see who they're playing, and be like, is the entire Pac-12 just smaller? Michael, awesome job. We'll talk to you. Awesome, man. Thank you guys so much. You take it easy. Michael Felder from Stadium, also part of the Learfield Podcast Network. Silver 7s is humming. we got the Bills and the Rams starting up in less than three hours. Remember, every NFL game during 2022 into 2023 at Silver 7s, when you're watching the games, they've got 77-cent beers. That's right, 77 cents for a bottle of Bud Light, Mick Ultra, or Bud. It's Silver 7s, Flamingo, and Paradise, your home for... Pro Football Viewing. Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. Now, back to Cofield and Company. Don't let the Las Vegas Raiders defense get hot with new defensive coordinator Patrick Graham. But if this team come together up front and on the back end, if they get some synergy with Trevor Morrig and they put Abrams around that box and they are able to cover people, I know we're going to talk about Waller and we're going to yeah. talk about Adams and Hunter Renfro and Derek Carr. If this Raiders defense get hot, you may be looking at the best team in football. Okay. We were talking about Bill's hype. A lot of Raiders hype out there. A lot of Raiders hype. We're going to have a lot of the rejoins today. Some of the folks are super high. Super high on the Raiders. There you hear uh, ESPN talking about the Raiders. Best team in football. Can this defense get hot? Uh, is that you know? Is that realistic? To be the best team in football? I don't think so. Yeah. It's hard to be the best team in football. You have to be really lucky to be some of the best defensive teams in football. I mean, look at the Bills. Last year, 
their defensive metrics, they were incredible. Like, first, I think, if I remember my write-up correctly, it was first in EPA per play, first in DVOA, and first in yards per or points per drive allowed, if I remember correctly. Like, they were dominant. But part of the reason why the Bills are so down is because their schedule is so easy. <laughs> if you look at the opposing quarterbacks, like your schedule plays a really big part of it. I think they can be very good. And here's the thing. You know what helps your back end a lot and coverage a lot is a really good pass rush. And they might just have that, especially along the edges. And so if they have that, that can mask a lot of the inefficiencies you have on the back end. Potentially. So they could be among the best. Top 10? Top 10 team or top 10 defense? I thought you were specifically asking about the defense. I was asking about the defense. Yeah. So I'd say, like, yeah, you could achieve, like, top 10. I think it's much like closer to 10 than it is to 1. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Rangers fans talking a lot of trash about the Chargers. They getting in a little too deep. I sent you a meme. Uh, some guy, some person, some someone sent out a meme. It said, uh, Derek gets to see his baby girl this weekend. It's a picture of Derek Carr and then uh, kind of a poor Photoshop of a baby with a very angry face. Justin <laughs> Herbert on it. Does he, have a winning, does he have a good record against Charger Herbert or something? Last year, there was a split. It was 28-14, and then obviously the game that went down to the wire and into overtime, and Carr didn't exactly light up the Chargers. No. He didn't throw for over 200 yards in either game. No. So, and they almost made the dramatic comeback in that first one, if I remember correctly, because they were down and ultimately did not. Uh, and, I, I mean, I guess I could actually make the argument that Herbert kind of – Herbert wouldn't die at the end of the year last year. He kept converting fourth and tens like nobody's business and just wouldn't go away in that game. I like the rivalry, but uh, Raiders fans, frankly, well, they outnumber Chargers fans. They're going to be a lot more vocal. But some of the stuff they're saying, I think there's a little bit of them where they got to be thinking to themselves, am I stepping in a little too deep here against the Chargers and Justin Herbert talking trash? Nah, who cares? This is what the fun is about. This is what it's supposed to be. And I would say that is not a rough Photoshop. That is a fantastic Photoshop. You think so? Oh, it's great. uh, The very serious face, Justin Herbert on, I assume that's Derek Carr's actual baby, but I don't know. We'll we'll tweet that out at uh, ESPN Las Vegas or uh, at LV Sports Network at some point. Coming up next, Xavier Pope checks in, attorney out of Chicago and one of our uh, contributors when it comes to uh, culture. And we got a lot of stuff to get into. uh, The horrific story locally with our uh, investigative reporter over at the RJ, uh, Jeff Garriman. Uh, murdered earlier in the week. We have more details on that story. Daily happy hour specials from 3 p.m. to 5 p.m., including 277 for pint shots and margaritas at the William Hill Race and Sportsbook inside Silver Sevens. Lawyer, host of Suit Up News, legal and cultural contributor, Xavier Pope, he is live on Cofield and Company. For time for the next 16 weeks during the NFL season. We start at 2 o'clock, so Xavier's on with us in the first hour. Xavier, how you doing, buddy? I'm pretty good. How you doing, Steve? I'm all right. You know, kind of weird times, let me be honest with you, right? When people are like, how you doing? They don't want to hear, like, hey, I'm just okay, and then some gripes. But uh, You're yeah. supposed to say, I'm good, and you move on. Well, That's I mean, it's, it's to going to lead to some topics we wanted to talk about today. It's been, it's been sad here in Vegas, and we'll get to that with the uh, murder case involving the uh, uh, RJ reporter. But, you know, I saw you today were affected by – uh, the passing of Bernard Shaw, who is a, an iconic figure. This what a a lot of news today. Uh, I mean, it's one of these news days where it's like it just doesn't stop. Um, but it started out with Bernard Shaw. I mean, he was one of my heroes growing up. Interesting enough, Steve, I, I talked to my twin sister earlier today, and she just remarked about. I remember how much you loved Bernie Shaw and how you talked about him being a role model as a kid growing up. You just loved him. I didn't realize that much 
you know, sometimes you forget how much uh, impact someone has on you to hear it like that from my twin sister. And so he was just a, a, a icon period of, of broadcasting and a big icon for African-American journalism. Um, he was such a professional um, in his, his, his coverage of war and, and him, him being that was a straight shooter. And he was just someone we all saw growing up. And many people modeled themselves after. He had that cool mustache, just a constant professional uh, icon of profession. Uh, he will be sorely missed. I feel like I need to stay off social media when it comes to Queen Elizabeth. Um, some of the stuff I read early on, I was like, yeah, this is really uneducated uh, buffoonery from some of the Americans who were tweeting about it. Listen, Queen Elizabeth's death, what it feels like to so many different types of communities that are impacted by all the, the, the complicated things around and around the legacy of her position and what it means in terms of our society at, over the course of history, I mean, it, it's, it's all over the place. And so um, I always say you don't have anything nice to say, uh, be quiet. And I, I, in terms of, of what my opinion of the subject, there are so many different things to talk about in, in and around her legacy and what it means um, in terms of her passing. It's just a tweet just doesn't cover it. We in Vegas want to be a national city, but not for this reason. As we move on to the uh, the case of, and you know, there's a lot of legal stuff in this too. Xavier Pope is with us, but the case of the RJ writer, uh, Jeff Garman, who was murdered uh, yesterday. Robert Tellis was arrested. There's a bunch of new evidence in. I know this has become a national story. I I saw you retweeting it, and um, you know some of the notes and news that you've read. Uh, what do you think of the case and what's happened so far legally? Like this is a case I was following from the very beginning. Uh, and so I, I was like, I was, just, I was getting all the details in real time, like many other people who are closely following this case. And what, 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 it was obvious he was the killer. I mean, the guy is standing in his driveway, the license plate of the vehicle. See, he's standing right there next to the vehicle. They pull up to ask some questions in a hazmat costume. Um, he's in his hat. I mean, it, it, he was a Democrat. He, he, he lost his position um, in, that, in that city after being exposed for corruption. And a journalist who had almost going on 40-plus years of experience in exposing corruption, um, this sends a terrible message at a time of political violence at an all-time high um, and people using their... They're exposed for corruption and then turn around and killing the journalist that exposed you. This is, this is much, this should be a much bigger story because it doesn't matter what, what party this is about. This is about what the media should do, which is expose political corruption to make our society a better run place by its government, for the state. That's what it does. And this is a time where we've seen all these heightened attacks and this is a terrible tragedy for someone who is a professional, who protected his sources, who did great work, and his, his, he will be sorely missed uh, in that region, in the region over there in, in, in Nevada. Xavier, so are we doing the right thing when we invoke, like, you know, the radicalization of people who are going out and attacking media members because of our political climate? Like, this seemed much more personal as opposed to somebody who was going out there because he felt like we're in a climate that now it's okay, I can retaliate against media members. You know what I'm saying? Well, you know, uh, 
of course. And, and, and if, if you all know me, you know, I'm, I'm a man of nuance. Uh, I may have strong opinions, but I, I think that we should look at these issues a little bit deeper, a little bit more deeply so we can really unpack what's truly going on. This is, yes, this should be paid attention to because the increase of political violence in our country. That's number one. Um, but, it, but it's also, it wasn't about the specific political police of this particular reporter or exposing some sort of aspect of his political leaning. This is, was of his personal corruption and how he treated people that worked for him and how he intimidated those that worked around him. This was his, impor- his impor- inappropriate relationships with others. And so this was a very personal thing. He was on Twitter attacking him, um, also uh, lobbying a threat at him and his journalistic publication. And so, yes, we do need to talk about this on a grander scale, but on a more micro level, which it is a local story about how uh, there's plenty of investigative journalists who put their lives on the line to be able to expose corruption in cities all across America every day, and they need to be protected. And these journals are important because oftentimes uh, this is, you know, the savior in a lot of cities to uncover corruption. And, you know, as an example, what's going on right now, and I think it's been years in the making, what's going on right now in Jackson, Mississippi with water issues. I know Deion Sanders and his football team at Jackson State are dealing with it. Um, Unless you have some sort of outside force to correct poor government action, that kind of stuff can just keep going on. Yeah, and, and I think that that's the reason why federal government should intervene in a case like this. Um, and one of the, in the, there's economic and there's environmental and there's societal racism and very different factors. And, and, and the legacy of that city in Jackson, how it's mostly black, and how that the town was abandoned after a Brown versus Board of Education, and how the amount of resources certain municipalities get um, state government if they are in. Um, places that are hostile to African-Americans, what that looks like um, in the legacy of those towns. They're Jackson, Mississippi's all across this country, the flints of the world. They're all, they are so, it's, I don't think we talk about this enough. Um, I was talking to my, my, my birth mom about that, and she was talking about Dixmore here, uh, here in Illinois and, and what happened to that particular uh, town that's just outside of Chicago. It's so many towns like across this country where the legacy of racism has led to how the people live and treating them like second-class citizens. This should not be happening in 2022. There's a song by Most Death, a 1999 classic album, Black on Both Sides, where he's called New World Water, and he talks about bathing in Avion, and this is something he predicted a long time ago, but this is something that's been going on um, for, for, for decades, and it's something that, that has to be addressed more on the federal level because you see sometimes there is local pressures that really impact those communities in a negative way. He's the host of Pseudo News on Twitter. It's Xavier Pope. He joins us every Thursday. I mentioned football in there for a second with Dion. I don't know if you saw, but his son, the quarterback, in his second year, comes out in the first game, goes 29-33 uh, with five touchdowns. So that's a kid absolutely worth watching, and the Jackson State story is worth watching. NFL starts tonight. This is actually a really interesting weekend. There are a lot of good, tight games, but there's also – a bunch of revenge angles. Are you really into some of these games? Uh, Baker against I the like Browns, it. Russell against the Seahawks, Flacco against the Ravens. I love revenge games, Steve. Come on. I mean, this is, you know, I feel like Baker Mayfield versus the Browns. To me, if if Baker Mayfield, that's when they'll say, if I do something, I'm going to show out. I'm going to act a fool. I mean, this guy's already danced his way around. I mean, that's what you, I can imagine something like that. 
I can see him clowning. I don't think that Joe Flacco really is necessarily a revenge game, per se. And um, I, 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 cause, I mean, he played for that franchise for a long time. After a while, he's kind of you know, got to go. But Russell Wilson of the bad blood, the Seahawks, that's definitely a revenge game. He's got a ton of money in the bank, one of the most beautiful women in the world, and a chance to uh, get back to his old team. I'm, I'm definitely going to be paying attention. Uh, I think the, I think the Monday Night Football spot is is brilliant. John, were you going to jump well, in? Oh, you, you missed a big revenge game. What's that? Carson Wentz revenge against the Jacksonville Jaguars for getting him fired from Indianapolis <laughs> last year. <laughs> okay, <laughs> that's a that's a good one. I don't know if the eyes will be glued to that. I know you will because you're a Colts fan. But Russell Wilson against the Seahawks, I think, is dynamite because basically Pete Carroll and the GM said, "Hey, it's us, not you. It's been us, not you, the whole time." And, you know, they walked on the guy five years before the end of his career, maybe longer, and now Russell Wilson gets to go back, face a bad Seattle team, and could just obliterate them and embarrass both of the older guys who wanted Russ out of town. Yeah, that same deal with the whole, we saw that here in Chicago with, with Michael Jordan, Jerry Krause, the Bulls, organizations win championships, crap. That, that never wins you over with the fans either. Um, I know a lot of Seattle fans that really do not like either one of those um, and it's because they love Russell Wilson, and he was the heart and soul of that team in terms of that the community of Seattle, and he, what his work is. And he's already gone to Denver and doing some of the same stuff. He was just a good guy, and so speaking that way, we have a guy and a good guy, a good community guy, just doesn't rub fans um, the right way. And um, that team's going to pay for it this season. Xavier, what's on suit up news? Uh, check out new episode coming up on Sunday. Brainstorming it now um, about there's so much news has been going on. We're going to unpack it in terms of the, uh, contextualizing it as we go towards the fall of what's happening. And going to be a little bit of sports in there. Sunday morning, check out the episode of uh, new episode of Suit Up News. Hashtag Suit Up News. Or follow me on my timeline, E-X-A-V-I-R-P-O-P-E. You may want to do it on the air fryer. Uh, this show is very torn on the air fryer. I'm very pro air fryer, and I was very pleased to see you tweet that you had nailed a corn on the cob in the air fryer. I, I talk about the air fryer all the time on my timeline, but there's a few times when I find out something new that I go, whoa, the air fryer is a gift. Uh, I made corn on the cob, roasted corn on the cob in my air fryer. I put some olive oil on it, some salt and pepper, some chili powder, a little garlic salt on there, a little onion powder on there, tossed it in there 10 to 12 minutes, 40, 400 degrees. And that was some of the best corn on the cob I ever had in my entire life. Listen, ESPN Las Vegas, if you're listening right now, 400 degrees, 10 to 12 minutes, these to have you like, thank me later. <laughs> you, have, you have vegan mayo? Like, you can make any look there, too. They can go whatever you want. Everyone has their own way of making corn on the cob, but put it in there, 10 to 12 minutes, 400 degrees, and Xavier Polk next Thursday here on ESPN Las Vegas. We will talk to you next Thursday. Have a good weekend. <laughs> Love you guys. There he is. Boy, he, he was going to get it at the end there, but we ran out of time. Love you too. He had a, he had a, like a positive raisins tweet. Davis. For a guy who hates carrot cake to be pro-raisiner? Are you kidding me? Raisins are... The worst. You looked out for him. He didn't want to embarrass himself on radio. He knew it was coming. <laughs> he had to get out. Coming up next, we actually preview the Broncos and Russell Wilson with Nate Kreckman from Denver.